I want to see what that dad bot can do out there. I manhandle that little baby. Welcome in. It's football and other F words. I'm your host, Michael Gillum. I'm joined as always by Zach Lyons and Michael Herndon. The three of us are brought to you by broadwaysportsmedia.com. And we're approaching training camp preseason and regular seasons. So we're going to have plenty of NFL content for you. Come check us out at broadwaysportsmedia.com. Today, we are joined by Caroline Fenton of Stillman and Company from 1025 The Game. Yeah, I should say ESPN's 1025 The Game. Caroline, thank you for coming on. Thank you all for having me. I'm so happy to be here. So, Caroline, like I was saying right before we started recording, you got 45 seconds to tell us your entire job history. No, I'm kidding. But how did you end up at 1025? Kind of give us your your uh, your background to come to Nashville. Yeah, the ultimate elevator pitch. Um, <laughs> but I came to Nashville in March before I spent the past two years in Bristol, Connecticut. I was working at ESPN's headquarters as a digital <laughs> and social content producer and then I just realized as much as I loved my job, I was ready to kind of make that leap into an on-air role. Um, Jason Fitz is a wonderful um, mentor of mine who actually got his start um, and got his catapult to ESPN from 1025 The Game. So he knew I wanted to kind of go into that on-air role. He knew that there was an opening, so he kind of guided me here. And then Ryan Porth and Jared Stillman, who I work with daily at 1025 The Game, they were so wonderful in the interview process. So when I got the job, I said, okay, let's. Let's move to Tennessee. Let's move to Nashville. So I've been here for about four or five months. Absolutely loving it. It's been it's been a whirlwind of, a, of the past few months in the best possible way. Now, how many pedal taverns have you been on? <laughs> so I actually I went on a pedal tavern when I was in college. Some friends and I came to Nashville for all, our fall break. So that was my, my one and only pedal tavern. I've been on many a party bus since I've moved here, but only one pedal tavern. And I have never been to Biscuit Love. So I feel like I can retain my Nashville resident card uh, for yeah. that. I've never waited in line for the wings. Yes, Biscuit, Biscuit, Love, yeah. Biscuit Love is not that great, I, I have to say. And, I mean, you know, sure it's, it's, it's fine. Good. I'm not going to wait in line for it. Right. And not going to wait an hour and a half for a biscuit. That and, and we'll, Hattie B's. We're on, never yeah, aligned. I was going to say, Hattie so, B's okay. is the other one. Lines Hattie are not necessary. Bees, Hattie B's I do love. I Let do me say love this. Hattie B's. Hattie B's is, is fine. It's Prince's okay. is, is better. But here's Prince's the thing. Is is, and this is a trip for anybody coming to visit Nashville. A little trick. It's called Uber Eats. Get your Hattie B's by Uber <laughs> Eats. Don't wait in line. There's no point in it. There is literally no point in waiting in line. And you don't need to go to the one at Fifth and Broadway where the line oh is wrapped all the way down Broadway. Like, there are other ones. You don't have to go to that one. Yeah. So, last Nashville but not 101. <laughs> the last one is that I'm going to ruin for you is Pancake Pantry. I, I'm, it's pancakes um, that people are waiting in line for. I've also never been Pancake Pantry. Never been. Um, don't really have the desire. Yeah. It's, Just make pancakes, pancakes at home. I'm a waffle girl anyways. So yeah, it, it's, it's a perfectly fine establishment. It's not worth waiting in line for. It's just not. No, no I'm more of a waffle house girl. Now I do have uh, I do have one question to to start off, and this is probably yes. a question that everybody is thinking about, and it's probably <laughs> weighing on everybody's minds. Okay, headlines with Carolines. Yes. Why that and not Caroline headlines, or Carolines, or you fitting to hear the news? So 
Carol Lines is also a segment that we do, and that's our betting segment. Gotcha. So Carol okay. Lines. So like, shout out to my parents for naming me Caroline because we've really gone with my name and ran with it in terms of everything that you could maybe bend into do into a little pun. So we considered Caroline's headlines, but we thought headlines with Caroline just kind of sounded a little bit better. And you fix and you hear the news. I mean, that's just totally on me. Yeah, you fit to totally hear the me. news is a good one. Okay, so I got a little branding thing for you. Uh, okay, since you got Caroline, down. since you I'll got Caroline's already, um, after every bet that you all talk about or you you say, you get uh, Andre three thousand from Roses. Mm-hmm. Just that group saying Caroline after everyone. There you go. And it's in everybody's head. Then probably if I get a bet wrong, should be Andre three thousand saying. Caroline really smells like poo. Yeah, oh, I love it. I love I it. Probably, I probably deserve that if I get a pick wrong. We just if improved that segment tenfold. Money, yeah. money in the bank. And this I mean, is what we're doing. Hundred three thousand is in my budget. I'll just yeah. call him up. We're close yeah. personal friends. Yeah. He's a pal. Yeah, good friend of mine. So speaking of Caroline's, the first one we're going to get to, which um, we kind of inadvertently started this topic last week on Football to the Ref Words, was Delaney Walker's comments on Sirius XM. So we saw this floating around Twitter, and I wanted to find the audio because I wanted to hear exactly what he said. It's hard for me to go on a rant about something if I don't actually hear the man say it. So um, we've all heard Delaney Walker's comments at this point. So, you know, just kind of diving into it. Um, I went back and listened last night just to make sure I heard him correctly. He wants to win a Super Bowl, and he believes that winning a Super Bowl helps his post-career accolades. And that's the closest he ever comes to saying Pro Bowl. He doesn't ever actually say Pro Bowl in the clip. He says Hall of Fame, right? Hall of Fame. Fame. Oh, I'm sorry. What I keep saying Pro Bowl, Hall of Fame. So he he keeps saying accolades and post-career awards. Um, And then he threw out there that Steve McNair and Eddie George's careers were hurt by playing in Tennessee. And the Nashville's market is small. The fan base is not as great as other markets. Uses Atlanta as an example, which is a mistake, and we'll come back to it in a minute. Um, and that Nashville doesn't get that many primetime games. I'll start with the first and easy one, Caroline. Does Delaney Walker have a point by saying that his post-career view or accolades are hurt by playing in a market like Nashville? I, yes, he has a point. He very much so has a point. And I totally understand Titans fans who came out after this and were so appalled by Delaney Walker's comments saying, you know, you were one of us. How could you say that about us? I understand that. That's your team. That's your city. Those are, that's the team in the city that you love. And whenever says someone, something bad about it, especially a Delaney Walker who played here, can understand feeling a little bit betrayed. But like, look at the receipts. Tennessee doesn't play very many primetime games. Tennessee doesn't play Sunday night games. Tennessee hasn't won a Super Bowl. They've been to one. When it comes to the national conversation, the Tennessee Titans aren't one of those blue blood elite teams. And it's not like playing for the Dallas Cowboys and the New England Patriots and the Green Bay Packers automatically gets you into the Hall of Fame, but it's all about exposure. If Derrick Henry was a running back for the Green Bay Packers, he'd be on the cover of Madden, but he doesn't play on those primetime games. And he hasn't been to a Super Bowl. He hasn't been 
in Super Bowl conversations super deep into the playoffs. So I absolutely do think that Delaney Walker has a point. Now, I don't think that Delaney Walker is a Hall of Fame tight end. And I don't think that winning a Super Bowl is the only way to get into the Hall of Fame. I think where it stands now, George Kittle could probably be a Hall of Fame tight end. He doesn't have a Super Bowl. So I, I, I see where Delaney Walker is coming from and that Tennessee just doesn't have the same exposure that other teams have. Now, I think that could change if the Titans get in Super Bowl conversation, if they continuously go to the playoffs, if they continuously go to the AFC championship, then yeah, that'll change 100%. But where it stands now, when Delaney Walker played in Tennessee and really kind of now as well, Tennessee just doesn't have the same exposure that other teams do. And when it comes to voting on the Hall of Fame, it can be easy to forget about those players that haven't been talked about in the national conversation that don't have a Super Bowl ring. You know, here's the thing about Delaney is that, and here's the, it's the big thing about Tennessee. I agree. Tennessee Titans fans are by and large, probably the bottom in the bottom when it comes to NFL fan bases, the market is small, doesn't get any exposure. It's getting there, but it doesn't get any exposure. I get all that. Have no complaints about that part of his comments, but here's, here's the thing about, Tennessee Titans and the players and getting in the hall of fame. They're just not NFL level hall of fame players for the most part. I mean, when you really look at, since they moved to Tennessee, I mean, you, you talked about Madden covers. I mean, they have two Titans on the Madden covers. They have Vince Young mm-hmm. and Eddie George. Mm-hmm. I mean, Eddie George and Steve McNair, they're great Tennessee Titans players, but are they all time NFL players? Like we gotta, I think as a fan base and analysts just start realizing that in the grand scheme of things, Tennessee Titans players just haven't been on the level in their eras as other players. And I get that McNair has a co MVP, which whatever, like I don't care about ties and crap like that. I'm, I'm either you win it or you don't. Right. But you, you know, you're, you're talking about a team that even at the height of its powers, it just wasn't stacked up by the individual players weren't stacked up well to their contemporaries. Steve McNair was never a really a top five, top 10, top three quarterback in certain categories. What he made up lacked for in stats, he made up for in heart. Well, heart ain't going to get you into the, into the hall of fame. Right. I mean, you got to get the awards. You got to have the stats. You got to have the accolades. And, you know, I'm, I see all these people bring up big market teams and, oh, you got to play in a big market to get the respect, to, to get the exposure, to get in the Hall of Fame. Well, let me tell you something. Eli Manning plays in one of the biggest markets ever and one of the biggest divisions and one of the biggest teams. And people don't think he should get in, even though he's a Super Bowl MVP, has, uh, two Super Bowl wins that he helped get them there. I mean, Super Bowl wins matter, and people don't even think he's supposed to be in the Hall of Fame. It's like one of the biggest arguments are surrounding the Hall of Fame, and he's in a big market. Calvin Johnson, he is comes from a horrible market, a market worse than Tennessee Titans with a worse fan base, with a worse stadium in a worse city, and he's going to get in. And then you have Terrell Davis, people's talking about Denver being a big market and that he shouldn't get in. He only racked up, you know, a bunch of all pros, a bunch of Pro Bowls, a Super Bowl MVP, uh, another MVP. You know, Troy Aikman, people are disparaging that he shouldn't be in. He's a three-time mm-hmm. Super Bowl winner. Like, 
understand that it, there's a bunch of things that go into it, but Tennessee Titans players just haven't been that good and haven't been that worthy of the NFL Hall of Fame. And Delaney Walker spent like the first seven years as a backup. Does a backup that a guy for seven years as a backup, does he really, does that scream Hall of Fame worthy? Doesn't matter what he did here because he never reached a thousand yards. He's, he never was a top tight end when you think about it. And there's only nine tight ends in the Hall of Fame. It's very hard for a tight end to get in the Hall of Fame. It's very hard in general for players to get in the Hall of Fame when they only select up to four to eight and you have to have 80% of the votes. And they, listen, Delaney's a nice guy. I appreciate what Delaney said. He's half right. But these people, you know, just taking these comments and ignoring his Hall of Fame comments and just saying, well, he's just trashing the fan base. Well, he's right about that. And that's all we're going to focus on is that he's right about the fan base. Well, that's it. The fan base is not the reason he's not getting in. It's that he's never been elite and a Super Bowl ain't going to change whether he gets into the Hall of Fame or not. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, Delaney Walker is not a Hall of Fame tight end. And I don't care where he plays. I don't care. You know, if you are on the greatest, if you're on the Dallas Cowboys, Delaney Walker, you're not getting into the Hall of Fame. Right. And, and the Tennessee Titans are not what is keeping you from that. And, you know, Eli Manning does have a, a couple of rings, but Eli Manning was also on really good teams. And Troy Aikman is in the Hall of Fame because he's won a few, a couple Super Bowls. But he, he also was on very, very good teams. And if you look at Troy Aikman's stats, they're really not that overwhelming. So I think that's why some people make that argument against Trey and being in the Hall of Fame, because, yes, if you look at his his accolades in terms of Super Bowls and Pro Bowls, then, yeah, he has a lot of those. But if you really break down a stat sheet compared to some other quarterbacks that are in the Hall of Fame, it's really kind of underwhelming. And I think Eli Manning is the same way. He was on really good teams that got him to a Super Bowl. But he himself was more of a game manager, which is fine. I don't use that as a derogatory term. But to me, that doesn't scream Hall of Fame quarterback. And, you know, being playing for the Tennessee Titans, and if you are one of the best players in the league, if Ryan Tannehill is Aaron Rodgers, puts up those kinds of numbers, don't argue with me that he doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame just because he plays for the Tennessee Titans. That's not what I'm saying. I think that no matter what team you play on, if you put up a certain amount of numbers, if you have a certain impact in the league, because I think that also plays a part in it, just your role in the league at the time, then then absolutely, then you belong in the Hall of Fame. I don't think a team can make or break your chances at the Hall of Fame, but playing for those kind of blue blood teams, the teams that get those primetime slots, it doesn't hurt. You have to make people want to talk about you, and that's what Derrick exactly. Henry's doing, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that... People have to talk about Derrick Henry. People have to talk about A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. And, you know, much like when Randy Moss gets inducted to the Hall of Fame, I'm totally claiming Julio Jones, even if he plays here for two years as a Tennessee Titans Hall of Famer. So, oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, the, and the piece I wanted to point out, and the reason why I wanted to bring this up was not because it's just an easy topic to talk about, but it, very much what Zach said about fans are just going to focus on the one thing that he's saying about the fan base and they're going to run with that. Right. And, and when that's what fans do, it's literally in the name fan fanatic, but, um, but the whole point of this is that it's actually, there's more layers to it. You know, one of the, one of the biggest components to this is that I see an NFL athlete 
who's at the end of his career realizes that he's probably done on the field or maybe could, could stick it out one more year and is kind of lashing a little bit, you know, to, to, to throw out a topic like I've got to win a Super Bowl because it's going to help my post career accolades, I think is a little short sighted because, and I say only not that it's not a big deal, but the only thing it's going to add to you is a Super Bowl win onto a career that is not Hall of Fame worthy. Um, Mike, am I off by that saying that, that that I think we're seeing Delaney thrash a little bit? I mean, I, I think he's there's probably some frustration, sure, that like, you know, last year happened and, and he didn't get to participate and he probably still feels like he has something left. And, you know, the last time we saw him playing on the field, he was playing at a pretty high level. I mean, it's not like I don't think he was the Delaney Walker that he was at, at, in his early 30s when he was, you know, putting up you know, 800, 900 yards a season here and, and double-digit touchdowns, those kind of things. So it, he wasn't at that level, but he was still uh, an effective tight end. I mean, he, he was still playing a pretty good level of football, I thought. And, and then he broke the leg and, and, you know, we never saw him again, basically. So it's um, it, it's tough for a guy like that, who's obviously a proud guy, um, been in the league for a long time, to kind of see it coming to to the end and not have been able to reach his goals. You know, you know, he wanted to win a Super Bowl. You know, he wanted to, uh, you know, get a few more years out of his career. Um, and it sucks. It sucks. I, I, I like Delaney Walker. I really do. Um, I agree with you guys. He's nowhere close to Hall of Fame uh, caliber. And frankly, neither are Steve McNair or Eddie George. Um, let's just be honest. Those guys are not Hall of Fame caliber players. I don't think there's an argument that you can make for either guy to be in. So I'm not sure what accolades Eddie or Delaney Walker is talking about that McNair and George should have gotten that they didn't. You know, I think they're pretty well known. I think they're pretty well remembered. Um, if you ask a casual NFL fan about, you know, what do you think about Steve McNair? What do you think about Eddie George? They'll probably say, oh, yeah, they were part of those really good Titans teams in the early 2000s. And, and you know, McNair was tough and, and a, you know, really good quarterback. He won an MVP. So I don't know that they should be remembered any better than that, what they really are, um, regardless of franchise. Uh, and frankly, Delaney Walker played here and was unfortunate to play here during a time when they lost a lot of football games and they just weren't a very fun team to watch. I watched every single one of the games that Delaney Walker played in. didn't have a great time. Let's be honest. I loved watching Delaney, but the rest of the product was not good. So they didn't deserve to be in prime time. They didn't deserve to be playing in the postseason during those runs. I mean, obviously towards the very end, he got to play in the playoffs a little bit, which I was you know glad to see, but that was, you know, this era of Titans football is a lot more exciting. It's a lot more fun to watch. They deserve to be on primetime with this team. And I think they will get a lot more attention if they continue their success this year, especially with Julio Jones adding kind of another star to the marquee. But for so long, it was, there wasn't really a star on this football team. Derrick Henry and AJ Brown are really the first true NFL wide stars that this team has had in you know a decade since chris johnson really um so it's it, it's not an accident that this team doesn't get attention it's because they didn't deserve attention for a long time and and now they do um i think they deserve more than they're getting right now but that'll come and with success everything will come it's not like kansas city some big media hub right they're they're or buffalo it, Right. Yeah. I mean, it, those teams get plenty of attention because they are winning at a high level. They have 
stars that people like and want to watch. It's as simple as that. So I don't think it's some massive NFL conspiracy against the Titans. I just think they haven't been good enough for a long time. And, and now they are and they, but they've got to hold that level to really get people to be interested to watch them. You know, and the point that someone made to me on Twitter, and I know we've, we've made it in, in private as well. Um, and, and Carolina, I feel like I heard you all discuss this on your show mm-hmm. was that Tennessee was the perfect situation for Delaney. I mean, he put up, you know, the numbers that he put up because it was the only person on the field that Marcus Mariota trusted in an offense that frankly was not very exciting. It was Mariota and Delaney for the longest time. But past that, here's here's the other piece I, I want to, to discuss is that what does kind of irk me about Delaney's comments about the fan base is not his shot at Nashville per se, but it's that Delaney, again, and, and Zach really likes to bring up that NFL players actually don't know what they're talking about. The, the further we get into this, I'm starting to figure out they a lot of them don't is Delaney's misunderstanding of what constitutes as a good fan base and what constitutes as a good team. The fan base has nothing to do with this team, excuse me, unable to get on primetime games. The Tennessee Titans showing up to primetime games and absolutely sucking ass is the reason why the Tennessee Titans don't get on more primetime games. Now, I hope that changes going forward with the team we currently have. But, I mean, am I wrong in being upset about that piece of it? It, I got to throw it back on the players. The players, the organization, the coaches, the the staff you had on the field didn't get you more primetime games. And I, I think you're spot on there because fans don't vote for the Hall of Fame. Fans don't decide the NFL schedule. Fans don't draft for you. Fans aren't on the field. I mean, I, I think that the fan base can play a role in kind of the, the identity of your team. I brought up Buffalo earlier. I mean, you look at Buffalo fans, like that's part of the culture and the identity of the team is the fans tailgating. But that's not the reason why Josh Allen is considered a top five quarterback in the league. It's because Josh Allen is a darn good quarterback. So, I mean, the, the fan base, I don't understand him saying, you know, it's, it's not a good fan base because – it is a good fan base, I believe, at the end of the day. Nashville is a Tennessee Titan city. I And so I don't understand the the attack at the fans. Um, fans don't, don't do more than support the team. That's all they can do. Well, I, and I don't – and I get kind of tired of seeing – I've been I've been distancing myself slowly and slowly from Titans Twitter drama. I mean, it's like every freaking day, and it's annoying. It's a roller coaster. But but this idea that it's it's simple for every fan of the team to come to a game that it's just simple as money or simple. Oh, it's only you know this much amount of money. Well, there's time involved. There's there's other factors that are involved. Look, I'm sure every Tennessee Titan fan would love to have the time, the money, and the means to be able to get to every home game. And and I'm not saying that it's okay that Tennessee Titans fans aren't coming to home games, that we're not filling up the stadium like like it used to be when it was a, uh, a Delphia and all, all that stuff, LP Field, everything. I get it. I'm not saying it's, it's great. But this also falls onto the organization for not having – an in-game experience worth the money to come to it. Because not only do you have to pay for the ticket to come to the game, you have to pay for the food. 
the parking. You have to find some people have to find hotel rooms. Uh, some people may have to do other stuff, find babysitters or, you know, what what have you that it's just not as easy as as some people have it like it's it's easy for me if if to to be able to go to a, to a titans game uh, i i have the means i have the time my my child is a french bulldog and he can take care of himself for five or six hours like it's it's fine um can he zach uh, well we just throw him on the bed because he can't jump <laughs> off he's too scared um <laughs> No, so he's fine. He's Excellent fine. parenting. Excellent parenting. Just throw um, him on an island. He'll be fine. Listen, <laughs> I'm still working on kid kennels. You know, just you know, little little dog things. Just destroy your, just throw Dom in a kid kennel. Come to a Titans game. He'll be fine. Uh, yeah, he'll be fine. Throw a snack. There you go, there. Mike. Bucket of water. Kids, yeah, kids like snacks, right? Yeah, yeah. throw some yogurt there. in there. He'll, he'll yeah. be good. He'll have a ball. Yeah, the, but the but house listen, definitely like, will not be wrecked when we come back. But Mike, outside of money. I mean, your your schedule is not conducive for to be able to go to every Titans home game, right? right. And yeah. and we, and should you be questioned about your Titans fandom over that? And you, of all people, should you be questioned? And I'm just sick of people questioning. And I'll say it. Listen, yeah. I love V Love, but he's got to relax on making it so. He makes it sound so easy that everybody should just come to a Titans home game. And, and maybe that's not the message he's trying to put out there, but that sure did seem like it this week. And listen, I love V-Love. He's a fan of the show and everything, but it's not as simple for everybody. It's not simple for you, is it, Mike? Right. I mean, that's the thing. Like, we just bought, actually, we bought a two-game pack for this season. Like, we're going to go to the Bills game. We're going to go to, um, I think it was the Texans was the other one that we ended up getting. So, like, but that's about as much time as I can really commit to, like, I mean, because it's not like it's a short thing, right? It's a... You got to go get to the stadium early. You know, you probably want to do like at least a little bit of tailgating. Then you want to go to the game and then it takes like an hour to get out of there. And by the time you're back in, you know, Mount Juliet where I live, it's like, you know, it's a five, six hour time commitment. It's, you know, during September, it's hot. You know, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of factors, not to mention the money and everything else like that. So yeah, it is, it, it can be tougher, but I will say this about the, the fan fan base. I think this year's the litmus test because right. if the fans don't show up this year, I don't know that they're ever going to show up or at least not until in. I, okay. So I, let me go back and say, I think there's two parts of this. Part of this is the Titans are not a generational fan base yet. Right. Like they, there are not people that are passing down their fandom of Titans to their children. I mean, I guess there are, but they're very, very young at this point. Right. Passing um, down I, their depression. Right. <laughs> the, in the, the Titans moved to town when I was, 13 somewhere around there i think um and it's that group like that really kind of grew up with the titans now is you know starting to have children and stuff like that and those kids will grow up and they'll it'll become a generational fan base like the bills and the browns and all these other fan bases that have been around for forever and season tickets and going to games has always been a part of their lives and and those when those people are old enough that they're, you know, they've got their grandkids going to games and stuff like that is when a fan base really becomes, I think, entrenched uh, in a community and becomes a bigger part of like the organization as a whole. And we're just not there yet. It's, it's been 20 something years. It's not, it's not there yet. It's not, it shouldn't be expected to be there, but the other, the other side of that is 
this is a team that has struggled at times to be exciting, to be, um, you know, worthy of, you know, the fan base's love in, in some, to some degree. And I, that changed at the end of 2019, right? Like Ryan Tannehill came in, they started putting up 30 points a game. They started winning football games. They made the AFC championship run and then COVID hit. So we have not seen really since Ryan Tannehill took over and this offense completely changed and the, the view of this franchise completely changed what that fan base engagement is going to look like on an average Sunday. Like we had the, the limited COVID crowds last year. This year will be the first test of that. And, and you throw Julio Jones into the mix. If the Titans fans do not show up and pack that stadium with two-tone blue, and, I, and that includes games against the Bills, that includes games when the Saints come to town, all these other big fan bases that we know are going to try to travel. This is the year you should be packing it out. It should not be a question of, you know, well, is this team exciting enough to go see? Yes, it is. It is definitely exciting enough to go see. Now, it might be a 40 to, you know, 38 shootout because the defense might still stink, but that's exciting football to watch. Like, if you're a casual fan, you want to see touchdowns, you're going to see touchdowns at Nissan Stadium this year. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what that dynamic looks like and what the fan, what the fan turnout looks like this fall because I think it's our first true test since the Titans became the new Titans, right? Right. And well, Mike, last home game that I think we both went to that we were at the same one was that Chargers uh, yeah. thriller. Tannehill's and I was, and I was double fisting uh, uh, White Claws the whole game. Um, <laughs> but the uh, it, it seemed like the fans were all up in that game. I mean, it seemed to me that, you know, they, they were getting back into the spirit of the team. You know, the, I go back to the end game experience, but also the on-field product, it has not been that great, like you've already said. But that end game experience is still got ways to go to drive up yeah. that engagement and, that you're talking about. And, that's and, and the I'm traffic is just so too. bad, too. Well, I mean, that, that's, that's another thing. That's, that's hard exclusive. to control. Yeah, yeah, that's not exclusive to, to, to Tennessee. It's just, you know, it's, it's just a it's just hard to it's hard to get there if you don't live nearby. And that, I think that's a big issue. And the in-game experience thing, I, I do have to say, they I, that's going to be an interesting test too because they did hire Gil Beverly and uh, Surf Melendez and some of these other guys. There are They were brought in to help fix some of the stuff that that you know, I've, we've been talking about on this podcast for three, four years now um, about just – can we not do another like Kroger milk cow race during the timeouts? Like, can we, can we just not have like someone come out and guess the temperature? Can we do something that's a little bit more fun and creative and not the same stuff you've been rolling out for 25 years? Like this is, this is got to be better. And you watch what Nashville SC does. You watch what the predators do. You've got to recreate that excitement. It needs to be exciting in that stadium. And look, this may be unpopular, but can we get rid of the pain train uh, before the fourth quarter? Nobody's super excited when they hear that music come on. I know it's, it's you know, a, a sacred cow to some degree in Nashville, but uh, th that is not something that gets people fired up. You need to get people fired up in the stadium, make it a fun experience, make people get out of their seats a little bit. And I hope that Gil Beverly and Surf Melendez and some of these other guys they brought in to change that have made great strides in the past you know, basically two years since they have last got to put a full stadium in, into action. 
Caroline, like let it's me time ask to get loud like it's 1999. <laughs> <laughs> Caroline, I want to ask you a question. At an LSU yeah. game, if they uh -huh. played Sweet Home Alabama, is that weird? Because they play that at Tennessee Titans games. I understand it's a very, you know, singable song. But right. this is Tennessee. It's not Alabama. So I don't understand. I'm an Alabama fan, by the way. But uh, uh, if they played that, I mean, what would the reaction at LSU be if they played Sweet Home Alabama? Is it just everybody's drunk and it doesn't really matter? It's just stuff like oh, no. I like the paint train thing just drives me nuts. See, and I, I don't I'm not saying this as an inflammatory statement. I'm not sounding trying to sound dramatic. When I tell you if there's a drink or popcorn or food in someone's hand, it's getting thrown up in the air and everyone's middle fingers will be in the air and they'll start booing. I mean, that is how fired up. And I think alcohol is something else has something to do with it. They tend to do that in Baton Rouge. But I mean, it would be like absolute chaos in there if Sweet Home Alabama played over the loudspeaker, as if I could only assume if, you know, neck or from Louisiana starts playing in Brian Denny or in um at florida stadium so it's just it feels a little bit sacrilegious i also think college may have a little bit of a different culture than the nfl you know you take so much pride in um in your own school a little bit more so than you may take in your nfl team in the city but um yeah it, there would be zero tolerance for any sort of alabama mention in tiger stadium but I think, I mean, you mentioned the in-game experience, and I think that plays a huge role in it. Like you mentioned the Predators. Predators games are a blast, even when the Predators are bad. Predators games are an absolute blast. But, you know, so, so the in-game experience does play a huge part in it. But if you want to get people out of their seats, if you want to get people excited, you got to win games. You got to be exciting to watch. And you got you to gotta win the important games, the big-time games. And when, when, not if, when the Titans beat the Texans, that's exciting, but like that's expected. When the Titans beat the Saints in Nissan Stadium, now that's when people start paying attention. If they beat the Rams by several touchdowns, that's when people want to watch the Titans at home next week. So the end game experience 100% plays a role. If you want to bring your kids in the stadium, that's fun to watch the fireworks or whatever it may be. But it, when it really comes down to it, the way that you get people in the stadium and out of their seats, you got to score touchdowns. You got to win games. You have to make people care about your team. Years ago, I went to my first um, Ole Miss game. I'm an Ole Miss fan, so let's just throw that out there. Let's just make it even worse for LSU. But <laughs> The circle just um, got really awkward. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a Texas fan, so we're, we, we kind of have oh, it all surrounded gosh. here. Oh, no. <laughs> what, what is it? Horns down? Horns um, down. Oh, come on. Come on. <laughs> so, Uncalled for uncalled for throw a flag on this man but uh i'm standing in 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 the grove at Ole miss and I, I told my brother and i'll give him a free shout out for this mark is that i said why can't the nfl recreate this and he just pointed at some random person and said because that 40 year old father of two is not going to storm the field and nfl came and tear down that goalpost with you and that's a great point. It's simple, but that's a great point. Your priorities change by the time you become an NFL fan and usually generational like Mike was bringing up. Um, the last thing I'll ask about this topic is, is to you, Caroline, have you been to a Titans home game? I have not. I just got season tickets. So I will be at every home game this season, but I have not been to a Titans home game. And I'm I'm really interested in hearing your opinion. Last year doesn't count because I, yeah. I went to now. I will say, and I said it on this podcast, and I think I pissed some people off. 
I was fortunate enough to go to the Bills game last year at home when they only allowed like 10,000 people in. And I thought it was fantastic (laughs) because there were no lines for the bathroom. There were no line for concessions. Halftime, you could legitimately get up and go do everything you wanted to do. Be back in your seat with your feet kicked up on the seat in front of you with like four minutes left to go. So I I loved it. There's something to say about that for sure. Yeah, true. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, so it, I agree. And I, I feel like we did a good job of kind of capturing that. I, I, I will close by doing this. I, I'll defend V-Love a little bit to this extent. Zach is right about it's hard for the average fan to get excited to go sit like in the 300 levels. Uh, Jonathan Hutton with Outkick 360 brought this up yesterday that that's no, that's no longer a premium ticket, no matter where you are. Sitting up in the 300 section is a chore, even if you're watching it on the most basic of TV now. It's, hey, it's also fucking scary up there. If you're scared it's, of heights, it is, yeah. it's, it's scary as shit up, up there. there. Like, yeah, and if it's hot outside, it's hotter up there. And if it's yeah. cold outside, it's way colder up there. Yeah, all it no takes doubt. is one errant high five like that's too strong and you're, you're flying off the stage. <laughs> Serious, it's like K two, but that's it's all I think degrees. about though. But like, that's why I can't do roller coasters and stuff. I'll, I'll admit, I'm too, I'm too scared to sit up in the 300 section. I've been up there once, never going up again. And I, I also don't like being that close to those Kinko zip tied banners that we call the uh, Ring of Honor up hey, there. So it's a thing of beauty. <laughs> those beautiful, yes, we're still like, open restaurant signs, like Comic but, Sans um, font. <laughs> comic sans <laughs> i love how comic sans has just been like become just like a joke for anything that's like you know have you seen the graphic design is my passion memes? yes yeah where it's just made on like microsoft paint <laughs> yes exactly I, I do love that comic sans has just become a punching bag font just yes. you know someone made that font at some point and was like man this looks great and it now is. their font is just a worldwide joke this but will where- transcend time but where I will defend Velo is on this, and it's piggybacking off what Mike just finished saying a minute ago, which was last year, there's no way to get fans in the stands. So you couldn't react to the season that the Titans had had before. If the Titans do not show up this season for the offense and the package that is on the field based on the previous two seasons, the fans are never going to show up. And that's, we'll just have to see how that plays out because this kind of, waiting until something happens to be like, Oh, I got to scramble to get tickets to the next game. The Titans have had plenty of times to do that. But, you know, even as recently as 2019 against the Kansas city chiefs at home, that game got buck ass wild in the middle of it. It was one of the most exciting games I've been to, but there was so much trepidation in that fan base walking into the stadium when they first sat down. I think the Titans did something stupid or got a penalty at the beginning and the fans are just arms in the air. Oh, here it goes again. So I agree. If the fan base can't show up this year for a product that has every reason to be exciting, they're, they're never going to show up. And let me say something. The fans that game were super, super loud. Yes, and that was a big wild game. I was over with uh, our friend Amos over at the top of the Bobby on the rooftop bar, and we were watching the game up there. And um, you could hear the fans across the river, across all the honky-tonk music and everything that surrounds downtown. You could hear them clear as day. You could hear the chants. You could hear the the roar of the crowd. I mean, everything. So I think this fan base is ready to accept the Tennessee Titans and ready to come in. And I agree with Mike. It It's hard to keep a fan base without generational talent interested through the down years, right? It doesn't help when 
it's boring. The it's Fisher ball and you're winning eight and eight every year. And then you go to Mike Munchak and it's even more boring. <laughs> it doesn't help. And you know, that's the difference. And, you know, when people bring up, Oh, well the Cleveland Browns, they still show up. Well, first off it's Cleveland. They have nothing else to do. Second off, the Cleveland Browns have a storied history where fans, I mean, these parents for years and years have held their kids hostage and put them through misery and made them become a Browns fan against their will. It's, it's Stockholm syndrome at its finest. It is, it is a case study of Stockholm syndrome in Cleveland. Now Cleveland is, you know, now good, but even through those bad years, it doesn't matter. It's like Detroit lions, you know, someone throughout that, you know, they fill up their stadium, you know, so much percent of their stadium is filled up every year and blah, blah, blah. Listen, I've, I've been with many Michigan um, families. I know I'm, I'm, I'm not a Michigan person, but I, I have ingrained myself in the culture of Michigan families through, uh, through my two wives, my ex-wife and my current wife. I don't know what it is about Michigan women, but apparently that's the, that's a thing with me, but they love to be miserable. Detroit and Michigan people love to be miserable. They're, they are de- every year. In fact, my current father-in-law has said this year, I think I'm going to become an Alabama fan. He won't. He'll stay a Michigan fan <laughs> and he'll be miserable and he'll complain about John Harbaugh and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, they're still Detroit Lions fans. Now, listen, they come to Tennessee Titans games. They love the Tennessee Titans. If i but they still can't get rid of the Detroit Lions. It's ingrained in your DNA when you're when you have this generation upon generation upon generation of football and sports fandom. You just can't you can't get rid of it. And that's the difference between the Tennessee Titans and these other fan bases. When the Tennessee Titans were going through those down years, there's no like even if you have a kid, are you really going to make them sit and watch? You know, uh, um, Antonio uh, Andrews. You know plod for like one point yard per carry i mean like give me a break hey you gotta go do something lock your kids in the kennel make them watch a cleveland browns game right (laughs) so let's uh, while we're talking about the titans well let's let's discuss uh their analytics position which is still listed as a big na according to seth walter of espn so uh walter had put out an article um and, and I should say he's the sports analytics writer for ESPN, put out an article at the beginning of June um, showing the athletics departments and the employees listed for each team. Some of them had huge analytics departments listed. Some of them only had one name, two names listed, but they had someone listed for analytics. The Titans literally had no one listed, just an NA next to their name. Now, not long after this article dropped, and who knows if it was due to public shaming, the Titans put out a job listing on June the 9th for a data analyst position. It's July 21st. Seth Walter updated the list yesterday. The Titans are still listed as NA. Caroline, I mean, can they not just get a gateway computer in there? I mean, can they not get someone with an iPad? Let's do some analytics. What in God's name? How can this Titans team not hire an analytics team? I, I But my rebuttal to that is, why do the Titans need an analytics team? I mean, there are so many people I'm let out Zach there. Answer that. <laughs> no, I want Mike. This is Mike's bread and butter. Mike is the <laughs> analytics guy. 
I mean, I, I believe that there's absolutely a place for it. I think that analytics have changed the game. You could argue for the better or for the worse. And it could be incredibly supplemental to the team. I'm not, I'm not that worried about it. I am not that worried about it. I think that there are so many armchair data analysts out there in the, in the pro football world that if there is some sort of, for example, for example, I was reading a pro football focus article. They do great work. They do a lot of analytic data crunching. They compared Bud Dupree's 2020 to Jadavian Clowney's 2020 because of sack rate, speed percentage, some sort of something out there data percentage was can Bud Dupree live up to Jadavian Clowney's 2020 in this certain stat? What? What? Jadavion Clowney had zero sacks last year. I don't know off the top of my head exactly how many Bud Dupree had last year. It was double digit, I believe. A lot more than zero. So when it comes to analytics, I absolutely think that there is a place for it in sports. You know, people always talk about analytics and baseball, that it's ruined the game. I think it adds an interesting layer of a storyline into a game, into the sport. But I'm not worried about sex speed running pass rush percentage i'm just i'm not i'm not gonna lose sleep over it i think that this tennessee titans team has so many other question marks surrounding it in terms of the personnel on the field that the 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 number crunchers the number crunchers can wait here's here's my thing on it i i think I don't think it's it's the most important thing. Like it, it's not gonna having a data analyst is not gonna replace having a good quarterback, right? Like that's right. not it's not the most important thing. But I don't understand because the cost is relatively low, right? Like I, I don't know how right. much these guys are getting paid. Not fifteen uh, but million dollars, like cool. Yeah, they're guys. not getting <laughs> millions and millions per year. They're not, you know, it's not gonna cost you a ton of money to do it. It doesn't count against the salary cap. Mm-hmm. It is like just free information or not free, but low cost information that if that helps you win even one game, like say they find something and it helps Mike Vrabel make one decision that helps them win a game, or it helps them find one edge against one team that helps them win a game. That could be the difference between uh, like hosting a home playoff game and not, or winning the division or not, or going to the play or, or if it's a playoff game, it could make the difference between going to the Super Bowl or not. So I just don't understand the cost versus the potential reward it's just so skewed that i don't understand why you wouldn't do it It, it's not that i think like well because they don't do it they're terrible and and they're never going to be like they won 11 games last year they were good they didn't Mm -hmm. have analytics they don't have to have analytics to have success but i don't know why in this ultra competitive world that they they exist in why you wouldn't use every edge possible and even if you get the data analyst on board and you find he has nothing that you want to use or or contribute or whatever what have you lost you lost you know three hundred thousand dollars half a million dollars in salaries and computer equipment i mean what are we that worried about that i mean they just you know re totally redid st thomas sports park and you know they they're it does not seem like they're hurting for you know half a million dollars right now so i just I guess my my biggest issue with it is 31 other teams are doing it to some degree, even if they aren't using it that much. 
why would the Titans not join that group? And why would they not be pushing every envelope? Because like the Ravens, they have really good players. They also use analytics. And that is how Mm -hmm. they found the edge about, you know, basically going for it every time they have a a fourth down and short. I mean, and and it, it, the Colts are the same way and they get value out of that. There are, they are a tougher team to play against because they understand what their approach is going to be. And that's something that I think, you know, Vrabel to me still feels like he's kind of just flying by the seat of his pants on some of those fourth down decisions. Like, I think he's a great game strategist, but some of the stuff that he does in the fourth and two punt against the Ravens, I think was one of the biggest examples of that. If he knew the numbers or if he knew the percentages, would he have made a different decision there? And if he did, would that have changed the outcome of that playoff game and perhaps the future of that 2020 season? I don't know, but I, I at least think it's incumbent upon them to find out given the low cost and the fact that it's not going to affect anything unless they want it to. So I don't know. I just think it's absurd that they don't. And now they only posted the job like a month ago. I, I, I don't care if they rush into hiring this guy. I don't think it's like a fire that they have to have somebody before the start of the season or it's over uh, for 2021 or anything it, to get the right guy, like get the guy that you think, you know, or that is going to make a big difference. But I, I just don't, I don't, they need to hire somebody and they need to build out some sort of an, analytics department just because it just makes no sense not to. You, you do make a fair point in that it's not going to be the difference between you know, having a losing season and winning the Super Bowl. But if every other team is doing it, why not? Why not give yourself at least a little bit more of a competitive edge? And I do wonder, I mean, I consider Mike Vrabel such a classic, just football guy. Do you think that he could possibly be pushing against this? Like, I don't, I don't need these analytics. I mean, I, I play, I call the plays. I think I X's and O's. Yeah, I know he doesn't call the plays, but I, I make up the X's and O's. I don't need anyone else to tell me what to do to, to give me numbers. I think that's there. That's absolutely a part of it. And, mm-hmm. and I'll say this uh, analytics would tell him probably not to pay or play Rashawn Evans as much as he does. So, I mean, like he's obviously <laughs> not going to listen to it. Right. Because right. I mean, he, him and Jim, he, they probably analytics would have probably said, hey, you probably need to fire Jim Hazlitt. He's on his last leg as a coach. He's not very good. Don't hire Shane Bowen. And, you know, analytics would probably tell him all this. And uh, obviously it's just a waste of time for, for both the analytics person and the other guy. But I mean, hey, at least analytics person gets paid to not be listened to. I'd be okay with that. Just pay me. I'll just sit in a room. Just pay. Yeah, me. If, if you hand me a check, if, if if number crunching is what I do, and you hand me a check to crunch some numbers about football, then hey, I'll do it. Yeah, exactly. I'm in. So one of the teams that has at least one person listed in their analytics department is the Bucks. Should they have had analytics on Tom Brady playing on a torn MCL the entire freaking season? Because... I don't believe this story at all. I just want to say. I don't I know don't... if I do either. I think it's absolutely ridiculous that everybody has just came on board and said, oh, look at 43-year-old or 44-year-old Tom Brady playing through a torn MCL. Are you kidding me? This guy has played through torn MCL. Nobody knew about it. And then the Bucks, even if they did know about it, an NFL franchise let their quarterback play on a torn MCL, a completely torn MCL. So, by the way, and does he really look like a guy that after the Super Bowl was, you know, 
had a torn MCL. I mean, I understand that it's like, I, apparently it's not as bad as a torn ACL, but it's got to hurt, right? I mean, it's got to put wear and tear on your body. And we're just supposed to take it as, oh, okay. Well, sure, sure. He played on a torn M- MCL because it's Tom Brady. No, I, I don't I don't buy it. I don't believe it. I, I think it's absolutely ridiculous because what if they had lost? And let's say that they didn't even they lost in the first round of the playoffs. And then it comes out that the Buccaneers allowed this player to play on a torn MCL this whole season. Okay, like, come on. Come on, guys. I mean, it's all it's all around you. This is this is Tom Brady and the Tom Brady machine going a little bit out of control, even though that he was really hilarious with uh, the Joe Biden comments yesterday. This is this is not true. This is 100 percent not true. I do not believe it. And I think everyone, and if it is true, then remarkable. Tom Brady was able to win a Super Bowl when he wasn't 100%. Tom Brady is not the only player in the history of football to play on an injury. I don't, I don't want to knock him. I don't want to say that, it, that he deserves any credit less than he already has. But I am going to say, I mean, like Drew Brees at the end of his season, granted he did not win a, a Super Bowl that year, he played with a broken rib and like a, a torn ligament in his thumb. All of these things were going on. So what if it's true, which I'm with you, I'm not quite sure if it is. It, he's not the only one to ever do it. I, I think it's certainly physically possible that he was doing it because like it, you're right. The MCM MCL is not quite a big, as quite as big a deal as the ACL. And frankly, like, I mean, Phillip Rivers played with a torn ACL at one point um, in the playoffs. And I mean, you can do it. And frankly, it's not even so much of a pain thing as it is a stability thing. Um, And Brady barely moves anyway. So I I think it's certainly possible that that's true. I don't know that it really makes him out to be like some sort of hero or anything either, though, because it's like, I mean, look the guy barely moves he's got this gigantic knee brace on anyways so it's like it's it's it would be different if he was a wide receiver out there cutting on it and doing all this other stuff too but i mean the guy like takes the snap shuffles back a couple feet and stands there and throws the ball i mean that that's that's literally all he does now i'm not trying to diminish it it's he does it at a phenomenal level that like no Mm -hmm. one else has ever done it before but it is not I don't think it's something that was like seriously hampering his ability to play. His ability to play is completely tied up in his brain and his arm. Uh, that is all that matters to him. He could be out there on two broken legs, you know, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but like he could be out there on two broken legs. It wouldn't change that much about Tom Brady's game. Like it is not, his legs are very little part of what he is doing overall. But so, I think that everyone's going to be looking at that TB12 method and saying, Oh, look, <laughs> I can win a Super Bowl too on a torn MCL if I, you know, cause a war against French fries and don't eat strawberries and take Tom Brady's supplements. Wonderful marketing ploy. And this Bring is me all of the avocado ice cream. I'll be uh, Superman. <laughs> and so listen, you- I'm out on TB12. I'm here for BR7, Ben Roethlisberger 7 diet. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Absolutely. Double cheeseburger, wake up, maybe take a nap at 2 p.m., you know, go out, sling the football around. Drag my team into the gutter with me. I really like this idea. Um, so I, this, what I want to deep dive on is exactly what, what Caroline just set up on a, on a tee for me, which was the source of this information of him t- playing the entire season on an MCL and that the Bucks didn't know about it is Alex Guerrero. 
Alex Guerrero is his personal trainer and close friend who's, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, he's kind of the originator of the TV 12 method. It's, it's the diet that caused a lot of friction with the Patriots front office. As a matter of fact, in the late 2000s, um, it was rumored that he was banned from the facility, Alex was, um, for quite a while. And they ended up kind of making up and allowing him to come back. But, uh, you know, the rumor has it is that the, the team, particularly Belichick, was not happy with this guy spreading his dietary methods and his, frankly, craziness to other uh, teammates of Tom. I kind of see this as, and again, I'm, I'm hypothesizing and, and going out on a limb here. I see this as Alex Guerrero in a roundabout way, kind of bragging about his dietary system to, uh, to Adam Schefter. It, this came off Adam Schefter's podcast where Adam Schefter asked him, a lot of people in the Bucks organization didn't have any idea that he had a knee injury, no less a torn MCL. Am I correct about this? That would be correct, Guerrero said. You knew about it, though, Schefter asked, and he says, I did. I think this is Alex Guerrero kind of flexing a little bit like, Hey, look, this man played with the most of the, you know, most of the season, the bucks didn't even know that he had a torn MCL because we did such a good job of using my method to rehab it. A am I off on that? I mean, and he could be right. He could have said, Hey, you know, the way that we have trained his diet, he was able to maintain a level of professional athleticism to get him to a Super Bowl. I mean, he may be right. I'm not a dietitian. I'm not a trainer. I'm not a doctor. It sounds a little out there. And I, I mean, I don't, I honestly don't know what your MCL even does for you. When you hear that it was, it was torn and he was able to win a Super Bowl, it feels like, whoa, I mean, this MCL was torn. It sounds a little outrageous to me. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. I, I I'm with Zach here that I don't know that I, I believe it. I, I, I can only take the opinion of those who have torn up a knee before. Mike, did you tear your MCL? No, you tore everything I else. Tore, in that tore knee. my ACL. And yeah, I, I mean, there's no way I would have been able to like continue playing on that. Um, the YMCA told you that. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, <laughs> yeah. Quick, quick aside. I tore my ACL playing basketball at a YMCA in Nashville, the, the one off Concord road for anyone who's local. Um, and I was, it was in the middle of a pickup game. I landed funny getting a rebound. I think I stepped on somebody's shoe or something like that. And it just popped. So I'm laying on the ground. My kneecap was also dislocated with this deal. So my kneecap was, I looked down, my kneecaps on the inside of my knee. Um, and I'm like, obviously freaking out. I'd never been seriously injured before besides like a broken arm in high school. And it was, uh, kind of freaky to look down and see your kneecap in the wrong spot. So I'm like, yelling all sorts of words that should not be uttered in a YMCA. Um, and uh, this guy comes over after like, you know, I'm on the ground for about five minutes. I've got a buddy there. He's kind of checking on me. They're getting an ambulance or, over there to like take me to the hospital and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, this guy comes over and he's like, hey, buddy, uh, would you mind scooting off the court? We're trying to finish the game. And I looked at him. I was like, are you fucking kidding me right now? I you want me to, to the grind, though. Like, like you hey, so sorry that your court? body's dislocated, but like, this is important. 
I respect Listen, the hustle. This, this pickup game is super important. And if I don't, if I don't win this pickup game, I can't go home to my family. Like, what, what are you, what are we talking about here? Man, like, that guy is food on the table. Just destroyed. I bet that guy's on Sirius XM on Monday going, dude, my post accolades are complete bullshit because this guy wouldn't get off the court in the YMCA. That Nashville YMCA fan base is the absolute worst. Um, so we're going to completely derail this podcast at the end of it by talking about Cole Beasley and vaccines or is everyone ready? Because Zach loves it when we get comments on our podcast of you're funny till you talk about politics. So it's in our reviews. We're, we're apparently a political podcast. I think we've mentioned politics on this podcast maybe twice. So this is going to be vaccines aren't politics. Yeah. Yeah. We're not talking politics. We're talking about medical science. Yeah, you know what though? You can't say those words. That's a violation of my HIPAA rights. This is so, a science science podcast now. Here's I'm just gonna lay it out. My problem science with science and Beasley, medicine apparently too. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, I am a doctor. <laughs> my problem okay, with Cole so, Beasley is it. not primarily that he won't get vaccinated. It's obviously a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. It's that he won't keep his story straight. Like every time he wants to go down a rabbit hole about bitching, about getting vaccinated, he twists his story a little bit. I'll just throw these two comments out there. July 19th, he says, do what you want. I'm testing every day. Once my test comes back negative, uh, my day will be just like everyone else who is vaxxed. No restrictions. Rules are literally just to push everyone to do what they want them to do. He's basically saying that the NFL is just doing this because they want to enforce a rule and tell the players what they can't do. On July 20th, he says, I'll get vaccinated and I'll be an advocate for it if Pfizer puts a percentage of its earnings from the vaccine in my wife's name, to which Mark Cuban made him an offer to buy him stock. So just on that alone, what is it, man? Is it the NFL telling you that you that you have to do something you don't want to do? Or is it suddenly that you have found a way that, oh, maybe I can make some money off this and Pfizer should throw my money some money my way and then i'll get vaccinated and brag to everybody about it i honestly just want the guy to shut up i I mean that's where i am i'm like okay like good good for you cole beasley that you feel this way but at the end of the day i mean if you look at the training camp protocols in the nfl if you're vaccinated you can do everything that you want if you're unvaccinated you cannot do anything you can you cannot sit with your team at team meals. You have to wear a mask. You have to get tested every day. Like that, the, those seem like two very polar opposite things. So if you just look at it at that at surface level, it's stupid to not. And if he, if he does get COVID, if he does test positive for COVID, then that puts his team at a disadvantage. So just be a team player. If you don't believe in it, I don't really know what else you need to hear to believe in it. I don't, I don't know if, what kind of Googling, what kind of rabbit hole on Wikipedia Cole Beasley is going down that's making him think that this is going to be, you know, like he's going to grow an extra arm. But I mean, at the end of the day, just, I mean, you have sacrificed your body and your life for this game of football and you're going to sacrifice your playoff chances, your Super Bowl chances, your season, because you, you won't do this. I just, it doesn't, I don't understand it. And I I think that, you know, if if you don't believe in it, whatever. But when you play professional football, you leave some of your liberties out the door. And yes, it's your, it's your right to not get a vaccine if you don't want to, but also you play professional football. 
you're, you belong to an organization and there are certain things that you just have to do. So Cole Beasley, just stop, just stop. Are we really surprised that a guy who has a rap alias named Pigeonhole Cole is, it thinks this way? Cause I'm not, I'm of, of all the NFL players and there are many, many, many of them currently playing. I am not surprised that Cole Beasley has taken this stance and is just digging himself into a weird, weird pigeonhole. And I, I will say this, when it comes down to lunchtime, if a Buffalo Bills player does not take a picture of him and his mask sitting at a table by himself, I'll be very disappointed because that would be gold. Just him sitting over there, just eating his uh, salad or whatever he's maybe eating and just by himself with a mask on, just like, you know, fist balled up, uh, shoulder on the or elbow <laughs> on the table, just, you know, slouched over, just eating like soup by with the other hand, just like so sad. Like, that's what I want. All in life is, is that this season, that picture. And I'll say this, if Cole Beasley, some for some reason, contracts COVID and costs his team, you know, something that will be the biggest story ever. And I will not much like, I don't feel bad for the NC state players because of the, the process of the NCAA that put, they put in place and it works because we went over the numbers on that uh, two weeks ago. I won't feel bad. I won't, especially cause it's the Buffalo bills, but I won't feel bad that Cole Beasley could possibly cost his team a game because you know, there's no greater power than peer pressure. And so what are these players saying to Cole or doing with Cole to not just say, hey, man, if it, I don't know if he's the only one. I'm sure he's not. But, you know, just shut up. First off, shut up. Second off, just do it so we can win the Super Bowl. We are in a Super Bowl window, man. There's no reason to take any chance, any chance. It's just a shot. Maybe two if you get the if you don't get the J and J, but it's just a shot. I mean, maybe he's just scared of needles. Uh, I don't know what the phobia term is. I'm I'm assuming needle phobia or prickophobia or something. But like, get over it, man. No, yeah, he's like, certainly not a prickophobe. <laughs> <laughs> I just you know I, at this point, like, if you don't want to get it, you don't want to get it. I don't understand. It's fine. It's just a shot. It, you're you're not going to suddenly become magnetized, or you're not suddenly you know gonna be able to be tracked by the government hey guess what you're already being tracked by the government the government can find you no matter where you're at if, if you the are, government if wants off, to yeah. track me then do it i'm really not yeah. that exciting it, it, what's funny to me is that the people that uh, are saying that the vaccination tracks you they're on facebook listen you're you're over it's over <laughs> privacy you're is on over for my you. friends yeah, you're, yeah when you're on facebook it's done it's over the government has had all your stuff the they internet all has all your are. stuff for years and years and years. You're you're already being tracked, bud. Just go ahead here's, and just just get it. Here's my here's my problem with Cole Beasley. Nothing he says nothing he says about this topic makes any logical sense. He his initial tweet that came out was that he would retire uh, before he would get the vaccine. So he in okay. theory was saying he would give up millions of dollars <laughs> to avoid getting the vaccine. Uh, now he's saying. Well, I'll take money for to take the vaccine. Well, what, which one is it, Cole? Because you were about to give up your whole career to avoid getting the back vaccine, and now you just want some Pfizer stock and you're good with it? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And then his other point was, I'm not going to take medicine for a leg that isn't broken. Do you not stretch? 
Do you not stretch before you go play football? Like, do you not do any preventative care? Uh, and then the third issue that I have with, with his, like, you know, just paranoia about the vaccine, NFL players will rush to go buy up, you know, some pre-workout that's called like Nitro XXX Ultra Boost, like that they have no idea. There's not a single ingredient that they have on the list that they know. And they'll just send it to the NFL and say, hey, do they, are these ingredients going to get me in trouble? No. Okay, then I'm taking all of it. But you're not going to take this vaccine that's been medically researched and, and you know, checked by the FDA, whatever. Yeah, like I just – you have no idea what's in some of these supplements that you're willing like to take over the counter, but you're just so scared of this. Like I, I just, the logic gaps are just all over the place with Cole Beasley and that kind of stuff drives me crazy. So yeah, Listen, I, I could just go without any more Cole Beasley tweets at this point. I, I think they should take away his helmet and make him play without a helmet on. Cause he doesn't yeah. obviously need it. Right. Why well, would no, you wear that protection? For a He's not concussed yet. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, he's I mean, that's all right. So this is one of the comments that he, he had to delete it on Twitter because he was getting dragged so bad for this. And I'm paraphrasing because I couldn't find it because he deleted it. But he said that I played all last season and didn't get, you know, COVID and, and tested negative every game. So I'm good to go. And people, one of the top comments on there was something along the lines of, so you drive recklessly every day to the grocery store with no seatbelt. You haven't been in a wreck. I been killed yet. So, I mean, I'm good to go, bro. And I just, it's, it's things like that. Like, and Mike is exactly right. They have no problem jamming nitro double XL into their body. It's like a ground up werewolf teeth and snow owl blood and God knows what else in there. But all of a sudden you're saying that there's a, a, a tracking chip in, in, in a vaccine. I can't deal with it. It's just, don't tell me that you're following the science it, which is literally what he tweeted out yesterday. He said, I'm following oh, the science here. Don't tell me that you're following <laughs> the science. science. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then make every argument against science because I guarantee you that he gets injured this year. He's going to use science to do something about it. He's not just going to go lay in the locker room and say, my body's going to figure it out. I'm good to go. Well, I'm this this, this and Emmanuel uh, H.O. talking Manuel about Acho, uh, Emmanuel Acho. Yeah talking about uh high as fuck javelin throwers has been my two favorite tweets and and running things because him tweeting that out we never really talked about this on the podcast but him tweeting out that that tweet about javelin throwers just getting fucking high before they go out there and throwing and like tripping balls and and everything like as they should it was the funniest thing and the thread in the comments like I love it when Cole Beasley tweets. I know you guys have all said, just shut up. But we get some amazing tweet tweets in replies and quote tweets. And it's just, I love when people tweet stuff like that and him and Emmanuel. And you get to read all the replies because that's the best part of Twitter. Yes. Like That is Twitter it really at its is. best. When, when people were coming up with all these things about javelin throwers and, you know, um, and then now the you know Cole Beasley trying to talk science, Doctor Beasley over here. It's just it's 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 so it's the best part of Twitter, and I I really don't want it to stop. I hate that there is someone spreading misinformation both about javelin throwers, weed, and about COVID nineteen and vaccinations. But you know it, you know it's just two people. It may be worth it. It may be worth it for that misinformation <laughs> to spread just to get better Twitter replies. I I take it back. 
you're, you're dead on because one of the comments from Cole's tweet yesterday is he was showing off that he was like donating school bags to children. Good. I'm glad he's doing that. That's good. One of the, but one of the comments was said, hell yeah, man, donate bags to kids, spread a pandemic and kill folks. It's all about balance. Well, I mean, let's let's also talk about the kids being like a petri dish of just diseases. I mean, right. they're they're always sick oh. and sniffling and all that kind of stuff. So Dominic's been sick for like ever since we started him in daycare. It's like just nonstop, like some sort of something's going on. There's something coming out of his face at all is, times. It is, is daycare uh, amazing? Is daycare code for the kennel you put him in? Yes, yes. The the baby kennel that you Zach got, got me for cough. Christmas. Yeah. It's a kennel, but with an iPad in there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and a bucket of water. Humane. They got to be yeah. hydrated. Yeah, that's all I need. But this, you know, it's it's the sports dead period. Whenever like the biggest topic of the day is javelin. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I said, think just think of the hundred of kids that he's setting a bad example for the ja- the high right. javelin thrower. Well, and <laughs> with the with the upcoming Olympics, I was thinking about this last night. Is that. I can I can name maybe three Olympic athletes right now, and I say that and I think actually I can name two. But in three days, we're all about to be experts about the hundred meter dash, the javelin throw. I'm going to be on here breaking down the hammer toss. I mean, like it, it's it's really funny to me how like the Olympics lays out in the perfect dead sports time when we all become experts. I'm going to be on here talking so much shit about like the 800 meter swim. I can't wait. I mean, and also I'll watch a gymnast who is throwing her body, you know, three flips, two twists on a balance beam. And I'm like, oh, her toes weren't pointed. Like, what a loser. <laughs> like, that's embarrassing. Meanwhile, I'm like sitting on my couch, like eating junk food. I'm like, wow, what a loser. Like, she wobbled <laughs> on this three-inch platform that she is supposed to land on after flipping twice in the air. While eating junk food. That is that is dead on. It's exactly what I'm going to be eating <laughs> french fries going, oh, man, that landing feet yeah. bounced a little bit and, and then we'll she'll be getting there. social media comments like kill yourself i can't believe you're so awful like you know that right. that's like immediately people will go there too well let me say this i got i got a bet for carolines okay? okay so i've been watching the olympic trials and i've been learning a lot about and for whatever reason every time i go to a bar it's always the women's uh, uh track and field and uh-huh. there is this there's this woman her name is a thing moo m-u and she does the 800 meters. She is going to be the first woman from America to win the 800 meter since I think in 40 years. I'm telling you, she's going to win the gold medal. Bet your money if you can find the money. Okay. I might wow. go ahead and just throw a couple bucks on that. Yeah. If you're I'm looking for it right it, now. It, I'm pretty, pretty it. confident. Zach's a stone cold 800 meters lock. Got you it. Can bet, Got it locked you in. can bet on that 800 meter relay like it's already been run. Meanwhile, there's some track and field expert that's listening to the podcast like, whoa, hot take. <laughs> yeah, <hold on>. yeah. <laughs> like a I thing move? I don't know about that. Yeah, no. Oh, I wouldn't do that. Right. Not a good play. Yeah, not a good play. He's probably saying a thing move more like a thing no. <laughs> I, I hope stick to, that. Stick to the uneven bars yes, bets, yes, bro. Yeah, stick to, stick to 800 meter bets. <laughs> Uh, this has been a blast. Carolina, really, really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. And I am going to give you the last leg, whatever you want to plug, whatever you want to tell us about how people can find you on social media or whatever, or not find you on social media these days, because I'm about to get rid of mine, I feel like. But uh, go go nuts. The floor is yours. 
So check out Stillman and Company on 1025 The Game Monday through Friday from 2 to 6 Central. And you can follow me on Twitter at Caroline Fenton one Very nice. Well, thank you for coming on. And uh, we appreciate you listening as always. It's been Football and Other F-Words. Again, we're brought to you by BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We're almost there, people. NFL season. It's so, 50 so days close. from today. Stop making lists of people on Twitter you don't like. It's not helping. This fan base is toxic enough. We're so close. Just chill out. Football and other efforts. We really appreciate you listening as always. For Michael Arden, Zach Lyons, Caroline Fenton, and myself, Michael Gillum. You've just been out. A Broadway Sports Media Production.